Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests, gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. My next guest is Edward Cleves, author of Kind Soul Closet Maniac, a memoir. This is a tale of a kid trying to escape a horrible past and navigate an uncertain future, all the while never giving up and eventually coming to terms with life, ever vigilant and ever hopeful. I was excited to connect with Ed after reading his memoir, and I titled this episode Perseverance in Prose. Enjoy the conversation with Edward Cleves. Ed, do you go by Ed or Edward? Ed is fine. Ed, okay. I, w- I want to make sure. <laughs> Ed, Ed, Edward uh, at work. Edward's a little more official at work because. Okay, well, yeah. Ed, Edward was actually my confirmation name. Oh really? So yeah. So uh, as you know, as part of the Catholic faith, when you get confirmed, mm-hmm. you got to choose uh, a confirmation name, and uh, Edward was the name of my grandfather. So um, Edward's my confirmation name. So mine was um, mine was Seamus. Was it? Yeah. Okay, well, that's a good Irish name. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I don't know where it came from. Maybe, maybe a long lost uncle or something. But I, you know, I don't know. I don't have any history with my parents, so I don't really know where it came from. But I like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, proper Catholic well, boy. Yeah, you know, proper pro- both proper Catholics. Um, well, nice to meet you, Ed. I like, appreciate you coming on the on the podcast to thank you. Uh, share your thank story. You. Um, you. And uh, I, I got to start off by saying, what an incredible memoir. You wrote, um, wow, and you. I'm hoping that we can talk a little bit about it today as you share your story, because obviously, that you know, that's what a memoir is, right? It, it's it's sort of your story bound in pages, uh, so that people can find it in the world, um, and and it's no small feat to write a book, especially when you're also trying to live and work and heal and connect um so let me start off with this question if if i may did you always know you wanted to write a book no 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 tell absolutely. me tell me more I, no absolutely not it started out mr Kirst, bill if i may as, as a mm-hmm. therapy it was a therapy project you know okay. I, was, I was in therapy for a long time after i lost my husband and um and um she said you know why don't you just write and i've always liked writing i write poems i write this and that but i, I don't consider myself a writer by any means but you know, it was a therapy project. She said, write what you feel. And, yeah. and I did. And I started writing and I she, she, I said, I don't know where to start. You know, I said, do I start with Brian? Do I start with this? She said, just start at the beginning. So I did. And and the beginning of the end for me was losing him. And um, mm-hmm. so in four months it was done in four months. Wow. I, I, I finished it. I banged it out 500 pages. It was edited down to three. Um, 
I left a lot of the violence out. Um, but yeah, no, there, there was no back burner issue for me. There was no, okay, I'm going to write a book one day about my life. It just sort of happened. You know, it just thought, sort of flowed out of you. Yeah, I couldn't stop writing. You know, I couldn't, yeah. I, I couldn't let it go. Once I started writing, it just in a torrent. Really, it came out, and and um, and at the end of four months, I was satisfied. You know, I was about mm -hmm. five. Or, I write by hand, and then I plug it into my laptop and I speak it Do in. Do you really? Yeah, I, hand is more tactile for me. Pen to yeah. paper, you know, it's it's more emotional, and you know, it's stream of conscious, you know, consciousness mostly because you know this is my life story. I kind of know it. Yeah. Know? And uh, instead of, you know, I, I did outlines and I did some, you know, this is what I'm thinking today, that sort of thing. And, and then it just came out, you know, it just it came flooding out. And it was, you know, it was very, very therapeutic. I felt when I hit the end at the very end, I cried like a baby. I was done. I can imagine like the release alone. And and, and I'm just curious, are you right handed or left handed? I'm a lefty. You're a lefty. How did I know that? I don't know. I, I just I had a feeling that you were what do they call it? Southpaw? Southpaw, yeah. Southpaw. Yeah. I mean I, I there's something about southpaws. I get along really well with southpaws. So I was a uh, I was a boxer when I was a kid, so you know they, they never see it coming, the southpaws. <laughs> they never see that left hook coming. I wasn't popular in the ring. Yeah. Um but, but yeah, I'm a lefty. Well, I, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um and then what's so interesting is even as you describe that when you talked about the power of writing by hand and it being so tactile and emotional and the release, like it's even more so I think for a lefty, because I know as a righty, I remember being in elementary school and somebody telling me, you're so lucky. I said, why? They said, because when you write, you don't have to possibly smear over your writing. Yeah. And I said, what do you mean? And, and, and so it's always fascinating to me to meet Southpaws because of the the way in which you cradle or the way you have to lift your forearm, that's something that as a righty, so much of the world is designed for right-handed people. And I'm curious, was it like that for you? No, not at all. I mean, you know, I, I do use certain pens, you know, I use mm -hmm. an A5 pen because the ink doesn't smudge, but yeah, I, I ran across that every once in a while. But when I'm, when I'm yeah. writing by hand, if one sentence will run onto the next, to the next, the thought will flow in. And it's very, very stream of conscious, you know, mm -hmm. consciousness, you know, for me. And, uh, and there were there were times where I'll sit down and 10 handwritten pages are done. I'm like, holy shit. And I feel exhausted. Yeah. I feel exhausted, but satisfied. There's, there's true power in that. I mean, you think about, like you said, the therapy part of it that you had mentioned. I mean, people go, they, they go to entire sessions to try and get to the place where they can do stream of consciousness writing where you don't stop and, you know, you just let it keep going. You don't necessarily let the period be a suggestion. You let the comma be a you know, a friend, that type thing. So has it always been that way for you? Like yeah. ever since you were a kid? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Anytime I decide to write something that, you know, the, uh, maybe it's being an empath, but, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, being a, an improv guy as well, you know, seeing so much at, at an early age and being able to adapt to anything. When yeah. I put, when I put pen to paper, it, it, you know, if I have an idea, then it flows, it just comes, you know, it's a I'm, canvas. I'm grateful. Yeah. It's, it's a blank canvas and it's lovely. You know, I'll write stuff. I don't write for other people. You know, I, the, the, the memoir I wrote for, for my late husband, I wrote it for Brian. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it happened to be about my life, and it just came out. And you know, I started the book with his death, unfortunately, mm -hmm. the moment that he died, and I was there. And you know, it was my honor in life. Yeah. And my, my greatest honor in life was to be able to care for him. But as it relates to writing, you know, whether I'm writing a poem or or anything, or just sharing my pain, which is usually what it is, yeah. um, it just comes. It comes. It's all there. It's a, it's a, it's a deep well that I can pluck from any time, and it's lovely. And I usually share it with myself alone. You know, if I'm in mm -hmm. bed, or if I'm reading a book, or if I, you know, if I'm lost in thought. Um, you know, I have, I have a, an endless supply of pain and anger and, and joy, you know, that I can draw from. So it does make writing a little bit easier. If I want to say something, it just comes. Yeah. So I let's, guess. let's talk about the, the, your, the, 
your person, your human, Brian, let's talk about the main kind of main character ish, right? Of, of the memoir, because one of the things that I felt so, I don't know, it was just, I felt like I knew him by the end of this book. Yeah, and it's he... interesting because it's your memoir, it's your story, but there were so many times that I felt like I lost a friend. But you know, he was, you know, he was an innocent man. You know, he was, he was, he was one of those people in life that you meet for me, you know, I'm not jaded by any means, don't get me wrong, but I grew up in hell in a sense. So, so when I, when I ran across him, you know, he was, it was bewildering in a sense, you know, I was, I was like, this guy cannot fucking be real. Pardon my language. I said, this guy cannot be real. I swear a lot, by the way, I should warn you. <laughs> okay. I'm like, cool. Yeah. It's, it's the Boston thing. But so, you know, so I was at Madison pub on, on the Hill and, um, I was leaving. I was going up to Vancouver, Canada to help a friend uh, open his restaurant. I have a wine background. Mm. So he needed help with his wine list. And I said, yeah, I'll spend a summer up in Vancouver, in Gastown. Wow. Absolutely. But he walked in just as I was finishing my pint. He walked in with two of his buddies. Mm. And I said, that's it. What the f no, I was stricken. And it was lovely. And I, I said, I, I was like a white dude in a horror film. I was like, I have to investigate. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So I did. I said, you and I said, you know, you and I are going on a date. Please have a coffee with me. And we, we swapped numbers and, you know, and uh, mm. a peck on the cheek. And he was just so very beautiful to me. And his, you know, I watched him before I approached him, you know, and his, his innocent nature. I was like, this guy cannot be for real. He can't. But he was. He was innocent. You know, and, and to a semi jaded person like me, it was it was so alien and so bizarre. And we had coffee and, and, and the rest was history. I walked him up after our coffee day, three hour coffee date at Starbucks on Broadway. It's now gone. Mm -hmm. It's now gone, unfortunately, which kind of sucks because that was my mm -hmm. that was my spot to visit. That was your haunt. Yeah. When I would mourn him, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, that was it. And, you know, and according, you know, I'm a, I'm a romantic. I'm a hopeless romantic. And, you know, I, I believe in dates. I believe in you know time. I don't believe in hookups. I don't believe in jumping in right away, you know, because that's just too easy in the gay community. Yeah. You know, it's just too easy. And, you know, I don't I don't aspire to that. I don't I don't like that. So I'm, I'm very old school, which doesn't make me popular, but I don't care. It's OK. Well, I mean, I think there's a level of the classic gentleman that still needs to be out there. I think, honestly, if we had more if we had more courtship, right, if we had more um, gentle mannered um, interactions, I actually think people might be a little bit happier, a little bit more satisfied. But we live in a sort of fast, furious, digital first world where people don't afford themselves that um, lesson in luxury. Yeah, I agree. And it's too bad, you know, because I, again, I'm old school and I, I believe it. I mean, I, I brought him flowers once a week for all of our time together. You know, I was I was the flower guy. I was the photographer. I was the maid, <laughs> you know, but I loved him. I was so in like Flynn, if you know that movie reference. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I was so in like Flynn. I was so smitten. And, and you know, and, and, and I knew, you know, I knew it was coming my way because the way he mm -hmm. looked, he, the way he looked at me, no one else looked at me, you know, so I was like, holy shit, this man fucking loves me. This man loves me. So I, I stripped everything down, you know, and being so, you know, having to deal with so much in my youth, I didn't trust people. I couldn't trust people. You know, yeah. I wouldn't let you in. I would not let you in. You know, I've only been in three relationships in my entire life. And the longest was with, you know, Brian. You mm -hmm. know, I have his pictures up right now. I'm staring at him right now. You know, he's, he's a part of my DNA. Um, I love the word you used when you described him. You said bewilderment. And you talked about kind of the innocence that, um, was almost emitting from him like an aura that's super like that that was like a tractor beam to you is that and i think we'll get into this i'd love to hear a little bit more and have you share a little bit more about your your youth and your upbringing and the challenges but is that how it was for you like because you came from a place as you described you grew up in hell because you came from that background have you always been able to identify 
and be magnetized by people of kind of an innate innocence and probably a very different walk of life than you had? Very much so. You know, I mean, I can see it, you know, being an empath, I'm, you know, you know, I, I didn't know what an empath was, right? You know, I just knew that I could stand next to somebody and, and know what they were feeling. Mm-hmm. And, that was, that's, and I, it's still there to this day. It's, it's what makes me so very good at the service industry because I can fucking mm-hmm. read, I can read you. I can see you coming a mile away, period. Yeah. You know, and, and I see that with most people and I keep it to myself, you know, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But, but yes, you know, watch, I watched him before I made my move at Madison Pub. I watched him. I knew I was going to, period. I mean, I was so smitten. I couldn't stop staring at him. He was just so lovely. But, you know, I, I watched his moves and, you know, his, his gestures. But, you know, people can tell you everything about themselves in one move, in one blink of an eye, in one yeah. sigh, you know. And, you know, and I, I pick up on it. You know, I've got it. It's a gift and a curse, you know, really. But um, but I watched him and, you know, and the moment – I remember the moment I fell in love with him. We were um, sitting on his couch. Um, it was like our second or third date. It was very, very soon. And, you know, he liked to smoke weed on the weekends. He was a nurse, you know, he was a nurse and he saw terrible things in his business. And, you know, mm-hmm. and um, so he would relax with marijuana just, you know, on, on the weekends. I don't smoke weed. I just drink. I'm an alcoholic. But um, but anyway, so he we were watching a movie. It was called Love Actually, a Christmas favorite of mine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I lo- yeah, I love that movie. And uh, and he just, you know, he just he had his hands between his legs and he's sitting next to me to my left and he just inhaled and exhaled. And he was, he, you know, and this is what destroyed me. He was he was just happy to be alive. He was that innocent. He was that young, you know, at 47, 57 when I met him, 47, um, I think. And, you know, I was like, holy shit, this guy is, you know, and, and I fell, you know, for a man like myself that is, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not jaded because hope is everything, you know, mm-hmm. but, but um, I was like, holy shit, this is real. I'm not going to let this motherfucker go. I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, you know, and that was the first night we made love. And I said, you know, yeah. And it was on ever since we were inseparable. And how long were you guys together before he got sick? Ten years before he got sick. Um, Ten or eleven, I forget. We met in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, he got sick in, in um, well, he died in two thousand sixteen, February February ninth, two thousand sixteen, six eleven p.m. was when he passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why I looked at the clock, but I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I just happened to, and I did the old Danish tradition where I opened the windows and said, "Baby, you're free. Let your soul go." But I kept him yeah. for a while. You know, I kept him for a while. It's, you know. Before I had to call the people that I called, um, mm-hmm. and he died at home. Yes. Yeah, at our home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's three blocks from where I live now. Mm-hmm. But my writing. And he he had um he had cancer. Yes. He was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer right away. He was a heavy smoker. Mm-hmm. You know, he smoked tobacco all the time. You know, not in the house, thank goodness. You know, I mean, I smoke, but only when I'm drinking alcohol. I'll I'll, I'll do tobacco, but other than that, I can't stand it. You know, it's sort of a self defeating thing that I do. Um, but I enjoy tobacco only when I'm drinking alcohol. Um, but yeah, no, so he was a heavy smoker and I was sitting next to him on our couch. We just bought a couch, this big old couch and he surprised me with it. You know, he was, he was, oh Jesus, I could go on forever about him. <laughs> I really, really could. But anyway, so you know, we're sitting there and we're cooling out and just, you know, we're just watching TV and, or, you know, we like to eat in front of the TV and just, you know, with our pets and, and it was our family. And, um, and he started coughing and it was guttural and it was, it was, I'm like, honey, this is something's, something's wrong. I knew right away. I'm like, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. And, um, and he, you know, he suffered several heart attacks while we were together. So, you know, I held on. Wow. Yeah. I held on as tight as I could, you know? Um, I mean, he wasn't out of shape, you know, he was, he was mm-hmm. a, he was a big old hairy bear and, and just the most beautiful face I'd ever seen. And, um, but he started coughing and I said, honey, we got to get checked. And, and the, you know, the, the, diagnosis or it was it was stage four right away 
So wow. we, yeah, and it, it was a fucking nightmare. It was a nightmare. So I kicked it in a high gear. I quit my job um, to, to care for him. I didn't quit it right away. I, I quit it uh, after he couldn't walk anymore. And, mm -hmm. it, and so I became his full-time caretaker, which is still the honor of my life. You know, um, it's the greatest thing I've ever done or ever will do was to care That's for beautiful. this moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, it, you know, it was just really bad. And, you know, the, the we had an oncology nurse lived down the hall from us. This is, yeah, she, her cat fell off the roof. It's a, it's a fucking story. I'll tell you about it. <laughs> but I ended up giving one of my cats to her when Brian died. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, so we went through all of that and we, and we, and we got the news and, you know, and, and one of the things that I wrote about in the book was this, you know, we, we when we saw our oncologist at Virginia Mason, you know, his mother came out from Colorado. They're all from Chicago, but they, his parents are in their nineties. They're still alive. My in-laws, I still talk to them. Um, but his mother is destroyed by it. So, so she came out and the three of us are sitting there in the office and Brian asked the dreaded question. He goes, how long do I have? And the oncologist said two weeks and he fucking dashed out the door and he blew up three lives in a heartbeat. And I snapped. I said, I don't know the fuck you don't mister. No, you don't. So I chased him down the hall. I said, what do you mean two weeks? He said, Oh no, without treatment, two weeks. I said, get your mm -hmm. ass back in there. My South Boston came up. I said, get mm -hmm. your ass back in there and explain that because you just blew up three lives. Mm -hmm. you just blew up three lives and he came back in and Brian was crying. His mother was losing her mind and I was pissed. I wanted to punch this guy. And, um, he said, no, without treatment, without chemo, without treatment, you have two weeks. I said, you didn't say that. That's you important. said two weeks and then you left. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's just, you know, that kind of pissed me off, but no. So, you know, we had two years after the, okay. after the diagnosis, we had after two years of ups and downs and, you know, and, and battles and struggles and, you know, yeah. But, you know, I mean, again, you know, it was, you know, Bill, it was it was it was my life's honor to care for. I mean, how could it not be right? Someone that you love mm -hmm. more than life itself. Right. To see you know. them off this planet is um, it's a it's an incredibly painful but powerful thing. Right? And, you know, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, no, you know, forgive me for cutting you off. You know, it's it's, no, it's, it's, it's the greatest thing that, that I will ever do. And, and it's with me every day. You know, There's, mm -hmm. I mean, I wrote I wrote a chapter after he got sick. I wrote a part in the book about um, in the memoir about bathing him and he was 270 pounds and hairy and beautiful and lovely and, and he couldn't walk so getting him into the tub and getting him out was no easy you know but i was up to the task i'm like bring it fuck you bring it let's go mm -hmm. you know and mm -hmm. i and i you know i beg i beg god i beg jc and the boys you know that's what i call jesus christ and the 12 and the apostles boys. <laughs> that's what i call jesus christ and the, and the apostles i call them jc and the boys <laughs> you know what i mean you can tell you are a boston catholic uh, man. <laughs> fucking, hey, man it's wicked but uh yeah so you know so um but you know, one of the one of the you know one of the most tender moments I've ever had with him in my life was when he was sick, and you know I got him in the tub and, and had to bathe him, and, and he was incontinent, and he had issues, and you know, but I was all in, man. This is the, this is my love. Mm -hmm. I'm in. I'm in. You know, and I, I you know I beg God to take me. I said, take me. Just fucking take me. Take me. Mm -hmm. Send me wherever you want, but just spare him. Whatever grace you gave to me, let you know, give it to him. Let it be. You know, let him be spared. And anyway, so I was bathing him, and um. And I just pouring water over his head, and he looked at me with such hope and such innocence. And he's like, "I just want to fucking live, Ed. I just want to live." And it it crushed me. Mm -hmm. I couldn't let on because I had to, you know, I couldn't cry in front of him. You, you had know. to be the strong one, yeah. Yeah, I never cried in front of him. I asked my sister Patty, who raised me, you know, I said, "I said, listen, you know, I mean, what do I do? What do I do?" She said, "What you do in the face of this is is you be strong. You be the anchor. So, you know, as cliche as that sounds, you know." And I, and I did, you know, and I fucking manned up and. And I would go to the room after and, and I would cry and, you know, but I would never let him see that. Yeah. I would never, I would never let him see that. So, but anyway, I, so I poured water over his head, bathing him. And it's, it's one of the greatest moments of my life. 
of me vida loca, you know, my crazy life. I, um, mm-hmm. And it's hoping to wash the cancer away, just hoping to wash all of this bullshit away from him. And he looked at me and with a smile. And then, you know, I thought I couldn't be closer to this man. Yeah. But, you know, I, I became even closer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I was very lucky. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's one of these things that um, people who know who have been through like a hospice experience or had somebody, you know, pass at home or been in the last moments, like you said, to care for someone in that way, um, it stays with you for the rest of your life. Oh, absolutely. It's still here. You know, it's subcutaneous. I can draw on that any moment. You know, I have his, mm-hmm. I have his pictures everywhere and, you know, and my therapist says, you know, just put them down. And I was offended. I'm like, no, I'm never going to put it down. It doesn't affect me. You know, you know, no, I'm never going to, are you kidding me? No. You had a pretty, a pretty uh, colorful upbringing. Um, you, you dealt with a lot of loss. You dealt with a lot of loss and a lot of abandonment and addiction and pain. Um, don't necessarily want to make you relive it, but you know, for those that read the memoir, they will, they will feel it viscerally. Um, That's one way to put it. I mean, one of the questions that I, that I sat with when I was reading the book was, it seemed like to me, Ed, that despite everything that was happening around you, you kind of had this kind of inner script, right? Which, which told you inevitably keep going, keep going, keep trying, don't give up, keep going, keep trying, don't give up. The world is falling apart around you, um, but you know something to be truer inside you. And and it was almost as if like, it was only inaccessible because the world wouldn't get quiet enough for you to, to tap into it. I had no time. No, that's, that's excellent. I hear you. Um, I had no time for that as a kid. You know, it was, I was, we, when my siblings were there, uh, were in constant survival mm-hmm. mode from, from the alcohol, from the violence, from the guns, you know, from the suicide attempts, from all that shit. It was, there was, you know, I knew all the cops by first name. It was just constant violence or fear or intimidation, you know, but for myself, you know, I, I always, I don't know where it came from. Maybe being an empath, I didn't know what it was, of course, when I was a child, but um, I always knew there was something better. I mean, I would, you know, for example, when we had a TV that worked, right? Because it was always a TV on top of a TV because the base one didn't work, you know? And uh, yeah, you know, and no heat and sometimes no water. Um, go figure. But I would watch the Brady Bunch when it was available. And I'd look around. I'd watch the Brady Bunch, yeah. watch that show, and I'd look around my environment I'm like, this is not right. This is what the fuck? What is going on? People passed out. You know, this, it, it was just, dude, it was so, it was so bad. It was so bad, you know? But, you know, for me... I always knew I, there's some sort of center of hope that never gives up in me. You know, I know right from wrong. I know good from evil. You know, I know that. And I've always known that, you know, I don't know where it came from, but I'm glad it's here because it, it you know, it, it keeps me, you know, proper. Mm-hmm. It keeps me, you know, it keeps the empath in me. It keeps me giving more than I take from this world because there are people that suffer way more than I do. Yeah. My story is my story and it sucks. However, what am I doing moving forward? Yeah. I'm kind. I'm kind, and you know, but the, you know, there's there's two titles to that book, Mister Curse. You know, there's cl- there's kind soul and there's closet maniac. So the closet maniac is alive and well. Yeah, yeah. I would love to uh, I would love to talk a little bit about that because it is a two titled book, and at times it felt like, gosh, you know, there were times when you're taking the reader through the adventures, right, of growing up, or also in between jobs or binges, right, and passing out, and you know there's 
there is that closet maniac, right? That's that's sort of always in there. But then there are other times where you're reading it and it's the smallest gestures that at first glance would seem insignificant, but they are they are that kind soul that comes through. And I'm I'm curious like was that intentional that it came through that way or that's just the way you constantly navigate the world that's the way i navigate the world you know because you know because because i know suffering at, at such an early age you know and you know yeah. and again you know there's nothing about this book that is poor me i don't look at me as a mm-hmm. poor me person but i know people that suffer and when i see it you know we have a lot of homeless and addicted here in seattle as we do you know the pandemic of, of methamphetamine and and uh, fentanyl and heroin has taken over our country in, in, in pretty much every major city um, and it's here, you know, but from time to time when I was in pain in the throes of my pain and walking around with a bottle of vodka in my gym bag and studying puzzle patterns of leaves that fall in the rain in November rain here just to just do anything to not be in my space. Just to not feel. To not feel. Yeah, to not feel. Yeah. But, you know, but every once in a while I would come across that soul, you know, that that, that suffers, you know, and I can mm-hmm. see it. You know, you know, if you're not it out, that's one thing. If, you, if you're fucking if you have meth induced psychosis, which is a real thing that most people don't come back from, unfortunately. Thank God I never really messed with drugs. I you know, did the cocaine thing in Miami back in the day. But, you know, right now it's it's just drink. I don't, smoke, I don't even smoke weed. Maybe I should. But um, but no, you know, for me, you know, the empath in me, you know, the, the kind soul in me is always there. If, if I know, if I can see you, because, you know, I, you know, I know the difference between addiction and, and someone that's really down and out and suffering. And I can't mm-hmm. walk by you. I can't walk by you. You know, if I don't have money to give you or booze to give you, I'll give you a word. I'll, I'll acknowledge you so you're not so marginalized or so sidelined. You're feeling like a piece of shit. I'm like, hey, man, I see you. Mm-hmm. It's not over. Keep going. Keep fighting. And those small words can, you know, because, you know, again, I said, you know, in, in my last interview, I said, you know, that person might have been planning to kill themselves that day. Yeah. Right. You never know. You never know. You never know. So a small word means everything to me. Yeah. If I, yeah. If I see you suffering, it's, it's in my DNA to just to fucking grab you if I can. I've been there. I've been there. I've been there. You can do it. I did it. You can do it. Yeah. Keep going. So, yeah, keep going, man. You know, to offer a spark of hope, you know, could be everything. You know, because again, Mr. Curry, Bill, you know, they, you know, they might have been like, you know what, I'm going through the Aurora Bridge. That's right. it. I'm done. Right. You know, they put a net under that. I did. I did hear that. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad because, you know, you know, no, I, you know, I have been in, 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 in darkness many times. I've been in despair many times. But, you know, that, that, you know, to get back to our point, you know, the, the spark in me that never says, you know, I mean, Jack London wrote about it, you know, in, in White Fang, you know, mm-hmm. when, when, when he had the, 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 yeah, one of my favorites, you know, the the evil master that put his throat on, on Fang's, or put his foot, his boot on Fang's throat, mm-hmm. and the dog would never stop growling. Mm-hmm. He would never stop growling. He would never give up. And that's me. Mm-hmm. That's me, you know, I'm never, you know, fuck that, I'm never going to give up, you know, but but I have to, I have to, you know, do the best with the time that I have here. Yeah. While trying to while trying to navigate this pain and, and move forward, you know, the thoughts of, you know, some friends of mine asked me, they said, you know, will you date again? Will you, you know, will you, and, you know, and I'm like, my instinct says no. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to be an old Italian widow dressed in black for the rest of my life. You know? <laughs> I don't want to do that. You know, right. so maybe, maybe, you know, of course, maybe, you know, I mean, you know, I get lonely. I get super lonely, you know, but. Um... Yeah, I think it's I think it's. um there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is uh, I was listening to recently. There's a, a gentleman. His name is Chip Connolly, and um, at one point in his career, he had he was a a hotelier, and he owned like one of the first chains or built one of the first chains of uh, boutique hotels in the country. And then he ended up, 
you know, working for Airbnb and, and retired. Anyway, he now runs something called the Modern Elder Academy, and it's based in Baja, Mexico. And in this interview I heard with him was with uh, Rich Roll on the Rich Roll podcast. And he tells his story about loss and grief and hope, most importantly about hope. And, um, you know, here's someone who is at, some might say the pinnacle of his career, and he lost one of his friends who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. And, um, and, and it was one of those things where Chip describes in his own story, there were, there were times when he, you know, the grief and the loss was so heavy that he, he found himself walking to the Golden Gate Bridge and amidst all of his success, he was saying to himself, am I happy? Right. Am I truly happy? And a lot of it was the answer was no. And and he came close. Right. Obviously, he didn't. But now he spends so much of his time doing the work for people who have touched grief, touched loss, had suffering. And, you know, part of what he does in the Modern Elder Academy is he talks about like, look, we kind of stage life in these in these buckets of like childhood adolescence, adulthood, and then we go retirement, right? And he's like, no, I, I, I don't believe in that. I, I believe that like what we call beyond adulthood as, as elders, we should be living life from a place of hope and we should try new things and we should meet new people and we should uh, not ignore our pain and suffering, but let it inform us. And as you described, you know, your, your empath, um, that's my number one strength, by the way, as well. It's right pro- probably why I do the work I do. Probably why you do the work you do. But as you described, it it can be it can be our kryptonite. You know, um, it, well, it's exhausting. Yeah. You know, as you know, it's, it's exhausting. But please continue. No, I was going to say it gives us it gives us uh, our superpowers. But if we're mm. not careful and conscious and we're not uh, intentional about it, we find ourselves completely depleted. Mm. And. I'm curious, like for you these days, because like you said, Brian's not gone. He's just with you in another way, right? Your, it's, it's a, your childhood's not gone. It's with you in another way. So, so how do you weave that every day uh, to make sure that you don't deplete? Um, well, when it comes to, I mean, excellent question, you know, Bill, um, when it comes to that, you know, being older now mm-hmm. and, and having gone through it for a long time, um, when I know the energy's not right, if someone, you know, if someone, if, listen, I can, I can, you know, I know your intentions. I, you know, I, I'm an empath, yes, but I, I think that if there's another level, this sounds braggadocious, but there is, if, if there's another level, then apparently I fucking have it because I see you coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. Not you, but the individual. Sure. Right? You know, yeah. so, so if that energy is bad, if their intentions aren't real, if they're not honest, if they're looking for pity, which is fine, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hug. Um, but, but if you're not, if you're not real, then I cut it off. I have to protect myself mm-hmm. because I was with a person one time years ago in Marblehead, Massachusetts. I used, I used to fish lobster and this girl, Jade, um, she was a Coke fiend and we're just talking, et cetera. And she was nothing but negative, mm-hmm. nothing but negative. And I felt my tank empty. And I was like, you know what? Goodbye. Yeah. Goodbye. So that's what I do, you know, to, to, to self care, to, to protect myself because there's someone else that really needs that, you know, that, that comfort, mm-hmm. you know, I'll share my strength and hope and, 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 and fight with someone that, you know, is willing, but yeah, you know, and, you know, I, to answer your question, you know, I, I very much self care as it relates to that. Good. You yeah. Know? I mean, I can, you know, I can, I can watch you from across the room. I can watch a subtle tick that you make a move that you do the way you adjust your cuff. 
and it, it tells me so much and it's fucking weird man it's yeah. bizarre <laughs> right it's, it's it's bizarre you know but 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 it is what it is and yeah. I, I, I use it to my advantage you yeah know? you know i do that every day you know i do that every day you know because mm-hmm. seattle again seattle has so many homeless and addicted and and people that are down and out but most of them are really and on top of that we have a lot of you know people that struggle you know this with you know mental health challenges and and there are so many you know, it's, it's it's like it's like the new San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco sucked back in the seventies. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to love that city. I used to live there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, tales of what was it? Amistad Maupin, Tales yeah, of the City. Tales right? of the City. Great, yeah, great my, series. One of, oh, yeah, yeah, one of my one of my favorite series. I love so that good. Yeah. yeah, I talk with him on social media. By the way, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and his partner they live in uh, Europe somewhere. Yeah, I actually, I think I met him once in. Um goodness it was uh provincetown maybe he was there for like a book signing or something and just such a nice approachable down-to-earth man yeah he's one of my favorites you know him and, and um augustin burroughs is one of my favorites mm-hmm. as well yeah. i chat with him i chat with him from time to time um yeah i, I sent him a, a manuscript and uh and he he did you know i didn't expect him to respond because we don't really know each other and um but he just said damn with an ex with an exclamation point but anyway you know so so yeah so um Augustine, you know, because he wrote, you know, Running with Scissors, and and um and my favorite is well, my it's torturous, but it's dry. The novel Dry he wrote, which was was it was insane. It was you know because I mean I could relate not to his degree to, to what he did, but but I love the fact that he you know he came from nothing right from his from his crazy background to you know being an ad giant based on his gayness and his you know and his his you know ingenuity and made oodles of money, but. He mentioned in, in one of his chapters, he mentioned, you know, kicking bottles and bottles and bottles of scotch over. I haven't gotten there because I drink vodka. But but anyway, no, it resonated with me. So I reached out to him and and uh, we haven't talked in a while. But so, you know, those two guys are, are kind of, you know, because they're gay. I mean, especially Tales of the City it was so fun. When San Francisco was relatively innocent and, you know, and real. Mm hmm. It sort of it stands it stands kind of a timeless classic, right? I think it's also because a lot of us who who read it, who watched even the goodness, was it a PBS series or something that they put? They did um, a they, yeah, they did a few, yeah. and they were kind of cheesy, you know. Yeah. Um, For me, it's always I, about the book. Yeah, I mean, there, you can't you can't match that level of um, of nostalgia, yeah. you know, that comes comes from the book. Um, I mean, Twenty Eight Barbary Lane, right? It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to live there. You know. We all did. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, I think at one point, you know, you you could be any gay man in the world and sort of ask him where they where they'd want to sort of uh, be transported, and it was Twenty Eight Barbary Lane. I mean, yeah. you still occasionally you'll you'll be in San Francisco and you'll turn a corner somewhere, and depending on where you are, there's still elements of that feel or that house or that neighborhood or something that just catches your eye and brings you right back to to that to that sensation of of reading that and getting to know that yeah that place that community yeah to, to me that's you know to me that's the city you know they call san francisco the city i mean when mm-hmm. i when i when i first became homeless i was i think i was 14 and um i i went to i was in san jose with my sister um after a bunch of shit we moved to san jose she married some guy and, and there we were you know i think i was just about no i was 13 i was 13 and uh it wasn't working out they, they, they fought all the time and uh, so I grabbed my shit. I grabbed my basketball. I took my basketball for some reason and a gym bag. And I hitchhiked. Uh, I, I hiked up to uh, SF and um, walk in the city. Had nowhere to go. Didn't know what the fuck to do. I bought a double cheeseburger at Burger King and a strawberry shake. 
and uh, I hiked up northern, excuse me, uh, further north to Napa, and uh, hung around there for a little while. And I had no, I slept under a tree. I had nowhere to go, so I went back to the city. And uh, there was a, it was on um, Market and shit, not Broadway. Oh no, Market and Van Ness. There was a, there was a sign in the window, Chinese shoe store, and it said for rent. It was a room up above. I had no money. I had no money. It was a Chinese guy. I said, look, you know, I'm willing to work. Just do what you can. So he gave me a job, and I had a place to live for a little while. And I was 13. And I, you know, it didn't last very long, unfortunately, because uh, I was so young. But I ended up going back to Boston to my sister's place, and she didn't know I was coming, et cetera. So, um, and it's in the book there. But so, yeah, you know, being on my own and being, you know, homeless and, and et cetera, very young. You know the indomitable will that I have. You know that that good that that kind soul in me is. You mm-hmm. know, and the closet maniac. I love the marriage of the two because it's exactly, you know it's exactly what I am, Bill. You know, and I think a lot of people probably who read it can relate, but they don't necessarily um, allow themselves to face it. Right. I mean, I think in times we all sort of run away from our vices or our addictions or things of that nature. But what, what I found so kind of freeing about reading your story was it's never been something that you've denied, right? You, you know what your weaknesses are, um, but you live with them. Um, you don't, you don't let them, you know, own you, but you're still, you're still living with them. Yes. Yes. Very much so to this day, to this moment, you know, I mean, you know, I've, I've made a decision, um, which is a very painful and difficult one to, you know, to, to face my alcoholism, you know, because I drank last night, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I, I drank at, you know, I, I drink for many reasons, but the, but the, the primary reason is this, you know, because I have friends here that are, a lot of my friends are super wealthy. I'm like, I need to step up my fucking game. What's going on? But, you know, I do what I love and that's taking care of people. Mm-hmm. You know, the service industry allows me to do that. I, you know, I get to meet an endless menu of strangers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I get to, you know, for 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 a snapshot in life, you know, I get to know about them, and I'm all in. I'm in like Flynn, you know, and and mm-hmm. they, um, and the, you know, they, it makes me very good at what I do, you know. Um, but you know, I as it relates to my disease, um, I've been selfish. You know, I've been selfish throughout most of it. You know, because you know, I didn't realize, especially you know, when Brian and I. We're together and I was drinking. I would hide it from him and he knew, you know, he knew that sort of thing. And I didn't realize I was hurting him so bad, so badly. I didn't know that, you know, because all I thought about was, you know, my addiction, my, my, how, do, how does one say, um, predisposed, you know, it's in my DNA. You know, yeah, I don't play, I don't, I don't, yeah, you know, I, I'm an alcoholic. It's in my blood period mm-hmm. it is what it is so so moving forward and getting older you know if if you know if i get into another relationship down the road i don't see it happening but you know i mean you know, i'm open to it i keep one eye open you know i keep one mm-hmm. eye open you know I, I don't change who i am but i have to change that so that yeah. has to that it has to stop because nothing good has ever come from it you know and i drink yeah. away i you know i drink away the pain temporarily i was going to ask that what what's the is it is it is it to numb the pain? Is it to forget the pain? Is what is the reason for the the coming back to the bottle? Outside of the fact that it's a, it's a, you know the, the in AA they call it the the phenomenon of addiction, right? You know, it's it's one of those things whereby you know it, I I could have a perfectly good day going on. You know, my triggers are what they are. My triggers are pain, childhood, violence, but they're also 
on the flip side of that coin, Bill, you know, there's a, like a beautiful face, a sunny day. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? yeah. my, my triggers are so many. And, the, the, you know, the, the common denominator is I'm an alcoholic. Period. Yeah. Period. You know, you know, my highs are very high. My lows are very low. And, and all of my lows have come and my misery, you know, have come from alcohol. Mm hmm. So my swan song is happening very soon to it, but I can't do it alone. Yeah. I've, tr I've tried to, you know, I've gone through three rehabs and uh, that the Christian place that I went to. Um, is that know, the one you, in Florida? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know why nobody likes Christians? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> because they know a Christian. <laughs> they're not Catholics, man. They're not Catholics. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> It was, it was, you know, it, it was almost like a sociological experiment for me at this point because, you know, I sat there and I looked around and I watched these people that are supposed to love you be so cruel to each other. Yeah, the judgmental, the shame, shame game. They were yeah. so cruel, so bloody yeah. cruel. And, you know, and they used the name of Christ, you know, in, in their defense. I'm like, you know what? If you meet him, you guys are fucked. Mm -hmm. You guys are fucked if you get to meet him. Because, you know, there was, there was one fellow that was, I, I stayed there for two months and I got in the best shape of my life. I was banging weight out. I was lifting weight because I like to lift weights. I was banging weights out um, at the same rate and, and, and numbers that I was at 21 because I was so furious at these mm -hmm. people for, for being such hypocrites and being so cruel. There was a young man, there was, there was a fellow that got sick. He got sick, man. This is pre-COVID. He got really sick. And I brought some medicine that I found because they didn't believe in medicine. You know, that place was a huge mistake. It was a massive mistake. But at the time, I needed to get out of Seattle. You know, I, needed, I, needed, I needed to leave Seattle. You know, I didn't want to, but I did. And I went and my plan at the time was, you know, after it was a year long program. And after after two months, I was furious. I never, you know, I'd never been so angry in my life. And, you know, and, and you know, and angry, you know, excuse me, anger and I and fury and I and, and rage. Listen, you know, my my anger, which is always there with me, right? it's subcutaneous. I can summon it at any time if I need to, if I need to, to protect myself. Um, it, it, you know, it went from it was forgive me. It went from um, anger to rage to fury. I was furious constantly and they all stayed away from me. Everyone, the residents, the staff, you know, I, I didn't speak out. Maybe it's just a look on my face. I'm like, leave me the fuck alone. So, you know, being a boxer as a kid, I just hit the heavy bag all the time. I beat that bag like it stole from me and I lifted weights. And so at 51, I was 235 and just stronger than I've ever been in my life, you know? And then, you know, I finally, after, after that fellow got sick and they didn't, they cared not to care for him. I said, you know, goodbye. Goodbye. That was it. But it was, you know, it was also, you know, to be honest, Bill, you know, that place, you know, I do not recommend it at all. It was, it was an escape. I had to escape that fucking place, you know, because they had the police on lockdown. We were in the middle of nowhere, you know, I mean, you know, the beautiful, you know, Florida giant skies and high pressure systems, you know, to me were a gift at the end of the night because I could see those and, you know, and, and dream forward. Um, but yeah, no, I had to, I had to fucking clandestine get a, a, a ticket prepaid for me because I had no, my bank cards were on lockdown. My phones were on lockdown. So I jerked them. I said, listen, man, you know, there's some shit I need to do for my medicine because I needed my heart medicine period. That, that, that was, a, you know, that's, that would change anything anyway. So, you know, long story short, um, they brought me my phones, which were, you know, on the other side of the state. That's what they do. They separate you. Right. They brought me my phones. They brought me my medicine and my ticket was ready. And I said, goodbye. So I walked away. I said, this can happen two ways. You can meet the, you can meet the kind soul. You can meet the closet maniac. And, and, and they were afraid of me and they should have been because, you know, because they used the word of the Lord to their advantage and it pissed me off. It pissed me off so bad. They're not, you know, it was, a, it was a, one of the worst experiences I had in my life.
But, you know, I grew up fighting. So I'm like, bring it on. I squared my knuckles. I said, you know what? Bring it the fuck on. Bring it. What do you got? You know, and, you know, and they, you know, they catered to people that were just out of jail and so forth and trying to get a second chance. So there was one of those second chance programs, you know, and funded through Naples, Florida, which has a lot of money, right? You know, Naples is a wealthy town. So they had money up the ass and it's a scam. It was a scam, you know, but, but I escaped that shit. It's in the book. Yeah, no, I remember that very vividly reading about that, uh, that whole experience. It is infuriating when you read it for sure. Um, when you think about, like you said, going forward and um, that sense of getting better, right? Whatever that, whatever that looks like and feels like, have you thought what the ideal experience would be like? I mean, you've been through, like you said, you've been through rehab three times. Um, let's discount that horrible experience in Florida because of what it was duplicitous and everything. But if you think about what a more holistic, ideal way to heal would look like. Yeah, I do. Does anything come to mind for you? Very much so. And it's, it's, it's to me, for, you know, from my experience, it's two things, Bill. It's, it's AA mm -hmm. and the Catholic church, wow. but AA, okay. but AA yeah. first, but AA yeah. first, AA first okay. and foremost, because they're real, they're raw. You know, they, they, they cater to no religion. They, you know, they, they, it's about the fact that you're not the whole and it's raw. And it's the only thing that resonates for me, you know, because anything sugar coated or candy coated or pussy footing around, I'm going to blow you off. Yeah. You know, you know, how are you feeling? Fuck off, you know, <laughs> fuck off. You know, let's get, let's get to the nitty gritty of it. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I mean, for example, I go to St. Joe's up here, you know, it's, it's about three mm -hmm. blocks away. I go to St. Joe's. And that, that's my spot. And Father Whitney has left. He went, this is a, it was a scandal. I don't fucking ask. I don't want to know. Some sort of scandal. But he just disappeared. But he was my go-to. I was in the hospital. I had a, I had a, I had a mild heart attack uh, a few years ago. I was at um, Swedish on Cherry Hill. And uh, they, after like four or five days, they released me. So I'm sitting down. And they're like, don't drink coffee. So, of course, I went and bought a coffee. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I don't, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not very smart. Closet maniac. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I was sitting there, and, and then Father Whitney walked by, you know, in, in his gear, and, and um, I'm like, hey, and he was super, just a super handsome guy. I feel bad about saying that, but I was like, holy shit. But he's wearing a collar, and I'm like, Ed, what the fuck is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? <laughs> but anyway, I pulled him aside, and I said, hey, man, where are you at? Because before I went to St. Joe's, I'm like, I'm like, you know, like, you know I, I need to pray. I need to worship. And he said, what do you want to pray about? And I said, the loss of my pardon, that sort of thing. So he prayed with me for a little bit at, at table number five at the uh, coffee stop, the Starbucks at a, at a Swedish. And they said, come down and see us. So I did, and I went to a few of the masses, that sort of thing, and it was close by, and I was still, you know, Brian had just died. So I was still, mm -hmm. I was still, you know, in the throes of that. And um, so I would go in between masses. I would go in between masses, because the masses are what they are, you know, but, but you know, I'm, I'm sort of, let's go, let's get it done, let's go, let's go. And the messages were what they were, they were for the community, and, you know, and he, he did a great job, you know, and it's a Catholic church, so I went through my rituals and did my shit. But I would go in between masses to reach out to brian to sit there and, and and this is kind of funny bill i'll share this with you i was um i had my gym bag and I had vodka in my bag and i knew that oh. but but i was you know i said i need to go pray i need to go pray so i did so i went and there's there's 40 pews 41 pews at saint joe's and it's a beautiful cathedral you know or, mm -hmm. or church i've been there many times yeah yeah it's lovely you know so i'm, I'm in i'm in i'm in pew I'm, I'm in the very first row on the left hand side and i'm doing my thing and um and i decided to put you know i was i would whistle like, you know, just to, mm -hmm. you know, to reach for Brian and to hear the echo mm -hmm. and enjoy the solitude, you know. And I knew Father Whitney was around somewhere. 
So, so I, I decided to put some music on one of my favorite songs to Brian by a, an artist called Philip Phillips. It's called Gone. Oh, I love Philip Phillips. Yeah, me Absolutely too. Huge fan. Yeah, yes. me too. I love him. I love him. It's a song called Gone, Gone, Gone. And I put that on. Yes, great song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was my tribute to him. And, and, um, and I started. It's also a great song to whistle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, so, so I'm doing this. I'm entertaining myself and I'm feeling relatively jovial after I played the song and I cried. And, you know, I reached out for him and I, you know, it's just it's so quiet right it's so quiet there and i reach into my bag to to put my headphones away i'm like oh there's vodka so i look around there's nobody there and i start sipping it i'm not proud of this i'm not proud of this by any means i'm not proud of this but i start sipping it and sipping it and sipping it and i put my headphones back on and then listen to music and i take my headphones back off to enjoy the silence again and all of a sudden there's a chill right up my spine i'm like that motherfucker's right behind me because john whitney father whitney is is six foot five he's relatively albino irish very handsome I'm like, he's right behind me. He's right behind me. And he was. And he was. I turned the corner and I just looked over my shoulder and he goes, Mr. Cleves. I said, Father Whitney. Sarcastic, you know. He goes, I see what you're doing. And he laughed. He goes, he goes, finish up and go. Mm-hmm. And, 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 he, and we prayed for a little bit. And, uh, but yeah, so I got caught by my priest drinking in church. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you do it every day. Tax free. Yeah. So shut up. I don't wanna, yeah, right. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, I got busted. No, I mean, that's a great story. I mean, as, as a fellow Catholic, you got to love that story. Yeah, um, I was cold busted. <laughs> so so I, I do love the fact that you kind of said in your answer that it is both AA and the Catholic Church. So it sounds like faith. You would even use the word ritual, right? Like that's a powerful word. So it sounds like faith to you in the sense of ritual, in the sense of uh, fortitude, in the sense of resilience is still very strong in you and will be, right? That's a part of you going going forward regardless. Is that fair? Very much so. Absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, the church is in my DNA. The church is in my blood. I'm a Catholic. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, but but the church is not strong enough. Mm-hmm. To, on its own, yes. To keep me, to, to keep me sober. I understand. You know, it, yeah. it keeps me kind. It keeps me real. You know, it keeps me serving other people, of course. Keeps you humble. Keeps yeah. me humble. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, but no, AA is, is for, for my disease. It's 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 the only thing I've found because you know I've been to, I've been, no I've been to four, not three. I've been to four rehabs, and they were absolute jokes, man. And that, that you know that quote unquote Christian one, those those posers, you know, that was just a. I mean, it's a lesson learned in life, you know. I stole some moments of clarity. They had a pool. I stole some moments of joy. I would dive under the water and watch the reflections from the sunshine, yeah. from the constant Florida sunshine. Yeah. You know? I was so mad at our father. I was so mad at him. I'd never been so mad in my life. And then I realized towards the end of it, I'm like, I'm not mad at him. No, you're mad at I'm these not, people yeah. that, are, that are taking it all hostage. Yeah, yeah. I was I was yeah. furious with them. I'm not naive. I, you know, I get it. I don't like it. In fact, I hate it. Yeah, yeah you know, but but just, you know, the, the, the maliciousness and, and just, you know, it, it brought me right back to my childhood. You know, how can you be so cruel to another human being and then use the Lord's name behind it? How dare you? How dare you know? I mean, it all comes down to like, it all comes down to kindness. Like you said, you know, the, the, the everyday gesture, um, but it also comes down to the intention. Um, so I would love to kind of, as we, as I, as I kind of come to a, a wrap here and thinking, first of all, this book is incredible. I would love for you to tell people like, if they're listening and they've been riveted by this story and <laughs> thinking of father Whitney and the, <laughs> the vodka, um, I'd, I'd love people to read it. So tell us again the name of the title and then where people can get it. Because it's only been out there, but this year, right? You published it this year. Yeah, May. In May. Okay. So I was, like I was May a pretty early reader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Thank you. 
No, listen, my message would be this, okay? Yeah, the title is called Kind Soul Closet Maniac, a memoir. My message is this to anyone that listens. You know, there's always hope. There's always hope. And the biggest thing you can do in life is reach out to somebody. You know, before you jump off of that bridge, before you eat that bullet, before you cut yourself, do this. Pick up the phone. I know that phone weighs a thousand pounds. I've done it. It's taken me forever to pick it up when I'm in despair. But there's always hope. There's always hope. There's always hope. Please never give up. Share my email. Call me. If you want to talk, call me. I'm open 24-7. You know, but please, please, you know, never, never give up because, you know, what hurts today may not hurt tomorrow. Right. You know and everyone I mean? deserves the right to heal. Everyone deserves, you know, a chance at life. You know, if, if, if you're that innocent child, if, if you're that person that, you know, if you're a military man or woman or person that has served, God bless you and thank you for your service, of course. You know, but if you feel if you've been overseas, you've been in war. Right. It's a different thing. I cannot speak to that because I've never served. Mm-hmm. I never served. But I know people that suffer. You know, and the bottom line that I try to portray in my TikToks and, and this and that every once in a while, I'll throw a message out there. And it's this, you know. You matter. You have value. You have value. And if you're stuck in your head, if you're stuck in your space, get up and take a walk. If you're homeless, yeah. if you're if you're homeless, and you know, and, and, and the struggles that come with that, reach out. Reach out. Because I promise you there's someone that cares. Just keep fighting, keep going, keep fighting, keep fighting. I can't promise you a happy ending, but I can promise you a tomorrow if you keep fighting. And tomorrow, if your eyes open. Then you have an opportunity to get down, to smile, to eat a fucking ham sandwich, to do your thing, to do your thing, to heal. Again, you know, Robert Plant said, you know, he said, you know, someone asked him about happiness, the, the lead singer of Zeppelin, right? Someone asked him, you know, what do you think about happiness? And he called it a treaty that you make with your circumstances at every given moment, excuse me, at any given moment in time. And I agree with that, you know. But anyway, mm-hmm. to, to any listener and to you, Bill Kirst, it's this, man, you know, you know, take it from a kind soul. And take it from closet maniac. Keep fighting. Yeah, you matter. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. You matter. Don't give up. And if you need to reach me, I'm open 24-7. Thank you, Ed, for, for sharing that. We didn't even get into the music, man. I mean, there was that I was thinking we were gonna talk, like you said, plant, Beth Hart, others. There'll have to be another follow-up for the music, because the music is there's so much music that's woven into your book that I really love too, because it reminded me of I go to I go to music in the darkest times. So we're going to have to have that as a future, but thank you so much for joining and sharing parts of your story. It is a powerful memoir. I'm really glad that people will get to hear about it and thank you for making yourself available to help remind people that they matter. I'm grateful. I'm grateful to you Bill Kirsten and for what you do and for the people that listen to you. You make a huge difference. You made a huge difference to me. And thank I don't you. I don't use the word grateful. I don't use the word love unless I mean it. And I'm grateful to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You be well, and you know how to get in touch with me if you ever need anything. Thanks for sharing your story. Likewise. Thank you so much, Bill. Thanks.